Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Try to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Podcast. I'm Patrick alongside Eddie tonight. Eddie, how you doing, my friend? Uh, not too bad. Tough uh, tough swing in the sunshine state for the Ducks. Ooh, yeah. I didn't really go as to what our predictions were for last uh, the last couple of games. Not a good road trip to start uh, for the Ducks. Or it's actually towards the end of it, my bad. The last two games of the road trip, just not good. Um I had a lot of hope on uh, on Thursday, dude. I really did. I got all excited. I was Looking on my way good. home from work, and I was like, I can't believe I'm freaking missing this game. They're up 4 nothing, and then I got home, and they lost in overtime. And I was like, I don't know what just happened. I really don't know what just happened right there. <laughs> yeah, Florida did that to Boston, too, the other day. I think I don't know if they were down 4 nothing, but they were down four goals, and they came back, and they, they ended up winning that game, too, I think, in, in either overtime or a shootout. So... Yeah, that that was a tough one because you felt like it. Not maybe not things were turning around, but some things were starting to go right. Max Jones scored again. Mm-hmm. Andre Kasha had a goal and an assist. You know, things were were you know guys were scoring goals that we were waiting to finally Nick actually Ritchie. be consistently. Yeah, Nick Ritchie scored some goals. Uh, Ricard Raquel, who's been heating up lately, he scored another goal in that game, and uh, then they found a way to lose. Uh, that I think the the two late goals in the in the second period there was tough for them. And then giving up that late one, and then you felt like right after that late one, we're tied it going into overtime. Uh, it was likely going to go Florida's way. It was brutal. That was. I, I remember coming home, sat down, 
and I think I turned it on right when OT was starting, and you could just feel it, and Steele misses Ekblad on the half wall, just he tries to chip the puck around him, which, it's overtime. I understand, like, he's he, if he chips that around Ekblad, he's got to rush up the ice for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone, but if you're going to swing your stick at a guy like that uh, in overtime, uh, a guy who's got a larger reach than you, Ekblad's a big kid, right? he's like six foot four. So yeah, that's, got, what, that's what I was going to say. Like you, you got to kind of notice the reach difference there. You got to make sure you get that puck, and he missed. And if you don't get the puck, get the body. He didn't even attempt the body. Uh, Ekblad comes in and just rips it bar down on Gibson short side high to uh, to end it. I screamed an obscenity out loud in my house, scared my dogs, and then I was like, "Well, hey man, that's the way the season's going. It's just what it is, you know. Just we can be frustrated you at times, like- but." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you felt like when Ekblad got that puck and he was coming in alone on Gibson there, you just kind of felt that he was going to score. You just there, there was almost no way he was going to miss that. No. The way the things were going for the Ducks in this game. Florida was taking taking advantage of their opportunities right pretty much after they got that goal that made it 4-1. They, uh, they took advantage of pretty much every golden opportunity that they ended up getting. So uh, Ekblad wasn't missing out. I mean, Ekblad essentially won the game for the Panthers. He he was a big contributor to the the final three goals. So then he scored two of them and was a primary assist on uh, Toninato's goal, where essentially like he just passed it in off uh, Toninato's skate anyway. Yeah. So so Ekblad, uh, not the guy you would expect. Like normally it's Barkov or Huberto or Trocheck are the guys that are hurting you. But you know, everybody kind of forgets Ekblad can in, in you know sometimes he can he can take over games with his skill. Well, I mean, he came into the league as one of those guys that was expected to be that way. He did off the hop, got some, I think he had some injury issues, I don't know if it was concussions, but uh, I know that that is taking something out of him because he hasn't been, you know, the same premier young defenseman coming up in this league as he was originally projected. But like you said, if you give that guy enough time and space, he's going to hurt you. And that was a hell of a shot, man. That was just a hell of a shot. Gibby's not a small guy, and Ekblad just put that in that tiny little neat corner off the post. Yeah, we saw Raquel Getzlaff Terry back together. Uh, yeah. Jones, which which Kate, I, I I have a problem with this because we were taught we were hyping up Jones Raquel Getzlaff mm-hmm. for the two games they were together and how well they were playing, and then uh, the first game that Terry gets put back or gets put with Getzlaff and Raquel, uh, Jones ends up scoring, which is at that game. Is that the game against Florida that they the first time Terry was back? I think Terry returned yeah, in that game. Yeah, yeah, right? Terry came back in that game. Yep, he sure did. So then Jones goes down with uh, Henrik and Silverberg, and he scores, and everybody kind of forgets about the fact that he was playing so well with uh, with Getzlaff and Raquel. And uh, I kind of want to see them put back together, to, to be honest. I, I liked how that line was rolling. We hyped it up a lot. And, uh, I, I mean, if you want, I think at this point the, the Ducks were trying to find some chemistry on lines. Like, that was looking pretty good. Uh, we've seen Steele, Kasha, and Richie look really good over the last couple games and maybe you just now what you throw terry with henrik and silverberg and see if that sticks i i could see it sticking like you know henrik is kind of a two-way guy and silverberg's the shooter and you get terry who's the playmaker and you put him on that line i could see it potentially working mm-hmm. no for sure i mm-hmm. mean jones scored the first goal of the game uh and that line looked really good and it, to see uh, terry comes back and just takes his spot off the top line. So interesting how that dynamic, right? Like, like Jones gets taken off the top line but still scores. Terry comes in. Um, it just, I, I guess he had an okay game, but I don't think he was all that noticeable. Yeah, no, he, he wasn't, and, and that's been the problem for Terry. I think 
in uh, 12 of his last 13 games, he, he has no points. So he only has one point in, in one of those games over that stretch. So it's been a tough go for Terry. Obviously, he got the healthy scratch in the game before the Florida one, which I think was deserved. I think we kind of both agreed that was a, a well-deserved scratch, the way things Something are going had for to Troy Terry. Yeah, and... And again, I, I know he's looked not that bad when you look at you know his play away from the puck and, and even his play on the puck and his creativity and his willingness to to attack and his willingness to make plays like that's still there. But that's all that's all nice and, and that's all great. And, and but if you're not putting up the points, like this is a guy who needs to put up points. Like that's his bread and butter. That's what he's in the lineup to do is put up points, and he's not doing it. And, and you know, at this point, we have some questions about this later. And we talked about this on the last podcast, but. There's some guys down in San Diego that look like they probably deserve a shot, and they're putting up points in the AHL at this point right now. So I don't want to say it's, you know, time's running out for Troy Terry, but he's got to put up points soon, I think, if he wants to stick around for the, you know, for the foreseeable future, and especially until Christmas. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, They're going to have to start making some changes, we would think. But, I mean, Dallas Akins is also the guy that's even tasked with running this this team uh, as a young fast bunch and although we do have some players that were questionable getting getting into the lineup over the course of this early season uh, for the most part he's stuck to his guns like they're they're sticking with the kids that they think have the most potential they want them to play up here at the NHL they they know what they can get out of them at the AHL um, so they're trying to make them work through whatever they're working through here with the big club um, what's more concerning to you right now Ed uh, we'll get to the Tampa game in a second but just to give up 11 goals in two games um, and to basically not be able to stop hemorrhaging scoring chances in the month of November for the most part, right? The two wins in their last 10. It's, yeah. Is it more concerning to you that the, the bleeding chances or the no scoring? Like what, if you were to try to, to uh, play doctor here on this team, where would you start? Uh, honestly, I, I would start, uh, I'd say it's more concerning the lack of goal scoring because this is a hundred percent healthy forward group right now. There's nobody that we're missing due to injury. Like, everybody's here. Everybody is accounted for that you would expect to be in this lineup up front. Uh, the Ducks are missing their top two defensemen. Obviously, Lindholm came back against Tampa Bay. But uh, I think it's going to take a little bit of an adjustment. And, and he, you know, we'll get into it again. But he had a, he had a, uh, a pretty good comeback game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Despite the Ducks losing 6-2, he actually looked like the Lindholm we're used to. Mm-hmm. But... I expect the Ducks to be hemorrhaging scoring chances. Like, look at the the defense pairings they put out against the Florida Panthers. You had Mahura with Goodbranson, and Gooley with Fowler, which is what you know we finally get, saw that actually get put together. And <laughs> yeah. then you had uh, Larson and Del Zotto. And even with Lindholm back, you had Lindholm, Goodbranson. They split up Gooley and Fowler. They had Larson with Fowler and Gooley with Holzer. Like, even even that with Lindholm back, it's not that great. I mean, your your right hand side depth is Holzer. And good Branson, and obviously Fowler gets pushed to the right side, and then you know Jacob Larson and, and Brendan Gooley. Uh, we've had some issues with with Jacob Larson so far, and I think Brendan Gooley is just finally adjusting, getting back from injury, and getting called up from the AHL. So it's tough. Like you, you know, you kind of expect that, and even with the Ducks' defense 100% healthy, it's still not the best lineup. You know, it's it's not a great lineup. Obviously, Lindholm and Manson are, are one of the elite pairings in this league. But Gooley and Fowler is still sort of an experiment, right? Like, we haven't seen yep. a huge sample size of that. And then whatever third pairing you put together is, is going to be an adventure this year, whether it's Goodbranson or Holzer on the right side or Larson and Mahura on the, or Del Zotto on the left side. It's going to be kind of an adventure back there. And the Ducks haven't really been getting 
you know, A1 goaltending on a nightly basis. You know, no. John Gibson has been good, but he hasn't been great. And there's been games where he struggled. And Ryan Miller struggled uh, in the last game against Tampa Bay, too. So it, it hasn't been that fallback for the Ducks where, yeah, they're hemorrhaging scoring chances, but the goaltenders are playing out of their minds, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, let's let's get to that. Sorry, at the lock, uh, the door is so my kids and their friends don't just barge in on a podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the... I want to get to that game for Tampa Bay right now. I guess Tampa Bay right now. Last night, Miller didn't look like the Miller that we've expected. Right? It's yeah. He, he kind of had a sloppy game. The Ducks did a really, really good job uh, for the majority of the game to limit the scoring chances. I believe at one point they're out shooting them like twenty-five to eleven against a, you know a very it was thirty-three to thirteen at one point too. It, like it was just like it the was, Ducks were yeah. just the onslaught um, on Tampa. And the Ducks, when when they gave up a scoring chance, I mean, it doesn't help that you give up three power play goals on th- on three penalties, right? You take three penalties and you let Tampa go three for three is just not a good way to to, to go about your night. Um, but still, I think the Ducks didn't do a very good job um, as a team in front of their own net. I, I think that was kind of uh, embarrassing if you watched if you watched that game last night. I know I know Maroon's a big a big kid, a big guy. And uh, but Gabranza was covering him, kind of let him get to the rebound and swipe it by Miller uh, on the power play. Lindholm, I think, kind of let uh, is it Ciarelli? Uh, that's on that's on yeah. Tampa. Get in front of him on the on the on the power play and get in the swipe home swipe home a puck while he was on the ice. It's just like that net front presence. Just they were weak in front of their own net on those chances and that burned them. But I mean, I, I would say Miller had a sloppy game too. Yeah, and I would say the Ducks, despite out shooting uh, the uh, the Lightning at five on five by a pretty wide margin, I think it was twenty six to sixteen on the game at five on five. Uh, scoring chances were a little bit closer, twenty six to nineteen. I think the big thing is, you know, despite that wide shot margin, the Lightning still had more high danger chances than the Ducks did at five on five. They had ten, and the Ducks had seven. Yep. And expected goals at 5 on 5. The Lightning actually won that battle. They had 1.68. The Ducks had 1.62. Like, usually, if you outshoot an opponent by 10 shots, you would hope that the numbers that really matter in high danger chances and expected goals would go in your favor, and they didn't. And I think that's the problem. It's, it's one of the problems we've seen from the Ducks all year is in, in games where they get a ton of shots and it looks like they're dominating an opponent. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say the Ducks didn't play well. You know, anytime you can outshoot an opponent 33 to 13 at any point, you're having a pretty good game. That's the problem is and, and why they don't convert on a lot of these chances because they're not getting a ton of high danger, high quality chances. Yeah, and you, can, you can shoot the puck all day, but if you're shooting yeah. from perimeter or off a rush on the short side, you're not walking into the slot and and creating chaos, then it, there's there's nothing that uh, you're really going to do against a, a good NHL netminder, even an average NHL netminder. And they went up against Vasilevsky, who's one of the best. Yeah, and, and you know all it does is it inflates the numbers a bit too. Like I think if you go and look at you know the, some of the the numbers in this game from the Ducks' top players, a lot of guys are sitting you know in sixty percent Corsi four percentage shot attempts are pretty high. The Ducks were taking a lot of shots, and that really seemed like that was the game plan in this one is to just get a lot of pucks on net, which I don't think is a bad strategy. The way the Lightning have kind of hemorrhaged shot attempts this season, the way uh, Andre Vasilevsky has played, he hasn't been uh, near what uh, you expect from him. No, so. I can understand that game plan, and it makes a lot of sense. But at some point, you have to mix in getting some high-quality chances. And at least if if you're going to not have a ton of high-danger chances in this game, at least if you're going to outshoot them by that much, have more than the opposing team. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the problem. I mean, you know, the Lightning had 16 shots 
and 10, 10 of their chances, or they had 19 scoring chances, 10 of those were high danger chances. They were allowed to walk in, and that's a five-on-five. Yeah. That's, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a five-on-five. Five. Yeah, exactly. And the Ducks had 26 scoring chances. Seven of those were high-danger chances. Like, that's the problem right there. Less than 25% for the Ducks and, and almost 50% of, uh, of the scoring chances for the Lightning were high-danger chances. That's the big thing. The so Lightning were waiting and taking advantage of the miscues in the Ducks' defense to get high-quality chances, and the Ducks... We're just focused on an onslaught of shots, which, again, it can work, but it, it doesn't work enough, especially when the Ducks aren't really getting any good rebound or deflection chances off those perimeter shots. Oh, yeah. No, and it's just like pointing out a goal for one of the goals from last night, uh, the Nikita Kucherov goal. I think it was the third goal of the game. He comes off the bench. Um, no one picks him up. No yeah. one picks him up. Puck goes back behind the net. Uh, there was already, I think it was Larson who was behind the net, was already defending, uh, I think it was Ciarelli. I think I'm saying his name right here, but uh, he was already defending him, but he got out-muscled behind the net, got out of position. Fowler, for whatever reason, is floating around in the corner. No one picks up Kucherov flying in down down the high slot, gets a perfect pass from Ciarelli, and he rips it off the far post. And then, like, that one I'm not going to fault Miller on, but, like, where's the defense? Like, that's a play that's got to be stopped. Like, you have to know where Kucherov is at all times when he's on the ice. I mean, he's probably one of the most, if not the most dangerous player on that team. And the fact that they didn't, they didn't pick him up floating freely through the slot, it's just baffling to me. And you see those mistakes like this all season so far, and you just wonder what is going on with this team. You see a great night, and then you see a night like this. And it's just the inconsistency on this team is the only thing that's consistent. And I know we've said that before, but that's just the truth. Yeah, I think it's games like this that make you realize that you you know if you're a Ducks fan right now you're in it for the long haul, and and the Ducks are if they're going to get back to being competitive it's it's going to be a journey and it's going to take a while and then I think you know it's definitely better than last year, despite you know the abysmal effort over these last two games like blowing a, a four four nothing lead sucks, mm-hmm. uh, it, it stinks but it happens and it's not and again the, the Panthers had already done that to a, a way better team than the Ducks and the Boston Bruins this week like it happens to the, to the best of this, the, the teams in the league. And some teams are just very good at, at being a comeback team. And it looks like the Florida Panthers are going to be that team this year. Like, it happens. And then you go against a, a team who's underperforming but is a very good team in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you play a pretty strong game against them. But it, you know, penalty trouble hurts you. And they end up getting three power play goals. And then all of a sudden it's a 6-2 scoreline when it probably should have been, you know, 3 or 4-2. Right. That's what it likely the scoreline should have been. But it looks a lot worse than it really was, and and that's, I think that's you know the Ducks are victims of that a little bit, and, and you know a, a big collapse and a big scoreline that is bigger than it should be. It makes it look like a a really really bad trip down to Florida. But I thought they played pretty well against the Florida Panthers, and I thought they had a pretty good game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and maybe they deserve to get. Uh, you they know, played two sixty minutes in. of hockey in one hundred and twenty minutes of hockey. They played 30 minutes in the first game and 30 minutes in the second game and then just completely shit the bed in both games. It's just like, what? Are you kidding me? (laughs) And and there's a journey. And the the Ducks don't have, you know, the the point I was making is the Ducks don't have a lot of pieces in place right now to be consistently good. And it's going to take a while. And, you know, we mentioned in the last podcast that it's going to take a while for these young guys to really get established and, and be regular contributors to the lineup, you know, essentially all four of them and I know Comtois down in the AHL but essentially all four of them uh, in Comtois, Terry, Steele and, and Jones they're all still rookies yeah. they, they've they've played I think a combined 
heading into Florida, they combined 106 NHL games last season, and they had 36 points. And then heading into this year, they've almost played as much as that already. So they're getting a you know obviously a huge boost in how many games they're playing, but their ice time is relatively the same as last year, and their production, other than Sam Steele, is on par. Sam Steele's actually producing uh, at a higher rate than he did last year. So, you know, we're getting what we saw from last year, and and how impressed were we with the last year? We were super impressed with Joey yep. Terry and Max Jones and and Sam Steele and Maxime Comtois. Yet this year, they're doing pretty much the same thing, and that tune has changed. And I think that's because the expectations on the Ducks in general are higher this year. A new coach and, and you know, the young guys playing more. And I put that in quotations because their ice time is pretty much identical to what they were getting last year. I think that's the problem this year is, you know, the expectations were a little bit too high on some of these guys. And, and they're, you know, they're essentially doing exactly what they did last year when we were, we were the, praising them nonstop because that was the only bright spot we had uh, last year. So I, I think, uh, it, you know, it, it's going to be tough, but, I think we got to give these guys a break a little bit. Yeah, no, you need to for sure. We all do. Dallas Aikens coming in as the new head coach here. You have to give him time too, right? I mean, people are already talking about Babcock and all that. Like, just go go to Twitter and look up Mike Babcock stories, and then you tell me if you want that guy as your did coach. You, did you see that one? I just it came out today about uh, Mitch Marner. Uh, Babcock went up to Mitch Marner when he was a rookie and asked him to like grade all the players from a hardest working to the least hardest working mm-hmm. and Marner did it and then Babcock went and told all the guys that Marner listed as the least hardest working that Mitch Marner said they were the least hardest working guys on the team. He's such a he's such a bastard. We're going to talk about this a lot I feel like on our Pucks and Bruce show our Patreon yes, show on Tuesday for sure, for sure Mike Babcock is going to be that's the guy you want around Sam Steele and Max <laughs> Jones and Troy Terry and, and even Ricard Raquel and Hampson home that's the guy you want I don't think so no he's yeah we'll talk more in depth about him on Tuesday but yeah man I saw that I was blown away by reading some of those stories Mar- uh, Mark Frazier former NHLer same thing Mike Commodore of course uh, was getting ripped on by some people on Twitter because he was going off but same thing you read these stories so you got to give Dallas Aikens times is what I'm trying to get to here. I mean, people are like, oh, you fired Randy Carlisle. Now what are you going to say about Dallas Aikens? I'm going I'm to tell you right now, if you watch a game from last season and, and mid-season from uh, a Randy Carlisle team and then you watch a game right now, even though they lost the last two games from a Dallas Aikens team, there's a lot more fun and there's a lot more things to be uh, happy about while watching Dallas Aikens. Sure, we have our problems. I mean, giving up 11 goals in two games is never something you want to do. You know, having defensive collapses, fine. But this team's playing different. They're playing more of a north-south game. They're trying to get the puck up the ice. You have defensemen skating up and getting all the way down to the goal, and we've talked at nauseum about that, all three of us. Um, there's a lot of bright spots to look at on this team. I don't think Dallas Aikens is the source of a problem. I, th- I think a lot of it is what you said. That is, these kids have a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure on them to perform, to be these guys that need to be the new wave of talent coming in to play middle six minutes. And they're having a tough start. They're, they are having a tough start. Yeah. start. So that's just the way it is. Uh, and I shit all over Sam Steele on our last show, and he goes out and has two pretty good games, man, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I got to say, too, is the beginning of the season, uh, we, we bunched the Ducks in. I think, you know, I, I can't remember if it was two of us or all of us, uh, but we bunched the Ducks in with the Oilers, uh, the Coyotes, and the Vancouver Canucks as teams that are, are big what-if teams for this year. Yeah. And, you know, if a lot of things go right, they can be very good. And if things don't go, you know, don't if everything doesn't go right, then 
there could be a lot of mediocrity. And and that's, I think, what the Ducks have been, is, is the big thing we talked about this year, if the Ducks are going to be a top team in the Pacific Division or a team competing for a playoff spot, is the kids are going to have to, a lot of them are going to have to score 20 goals. Yep. And that's not happening. I think, you know, Sam Steele's on pace for four. Obviously, I think that's going to change, but um, especially him getting his first goal of the season. But he'll likely finish around 10 or 15. Uh, Troy Terry's on pace for like seven and I, you know, at this point, unless he has a hot streak, he's likely on, on, a, on a good year for him would be on pace for 10 to 15. Um, Maxim Comtois was the same when he was up and Max Jones is roughly around the same. Like these guys right now are on pace for 10 to 15 goals and it would be a stretch to say any of them could hit 20 right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the only reason the Ducks, I think, are close to 500 is because you have four guys on pace for over 25 when we had nobody hit 25 last year only one guy hit over 20 and that was Silverberg who hit 24 right now we've got Henrique Raquel Silverberg and Getzlaff are all all on pace for over 25 goals and maybe they don't all hit it but the Ducks didn't really have anybody who was scoring at that pace at any point last season so you've got you know a mix of things going good and going bad for the Ducks but then you've got a team like the Oilers where pretty much everything's going well for them where McDavid and Drysaddle are doing what they did last year. They're getting good goaltending, and they're getting some depth offense from throughout the lineup. The Arizona Coyotes are getting unreal goaltending from Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta, and they're getting depth scoring. They're not getting elite scoring from anybody, but they're getting depth scoring. And then Vancouver Canucks have uh, one of the best lines in hockey. They're getting decent goaltending, and they have some some offense coming for their blue line. So they've got all good things going for these teams, with the Ducks still are battling with that mix of good and bad. And I think that's why we've seen them struggle where we've seen some of these teams we had grouped them in with, you know, Edmonton's top in the Pacific, Arizona's second and Vancouver's third. Yeah. It's the ducks just need need to find the way to get consistency. And that's what they're lacking overall for like all over the ice. Right. Um, Even the goaltending you mentioned a little earlier, that's got to get better too. They're, they're not. And I've, I've stuck up for Gibson. um, But I mean, his, I think he had a nine thirteen save percentage. And I think I don't know if that's still as it stands right now, but I remember um, talking about him and that like, hey man, you can't blame him. He's not the reason why this team is, is not where it's at, but he does. He's definitely not wearing that superhero cape, right? We talked well, no. about that all last season. Yeah, and over his last five starts, twenty-one goals against. That, six that's six against good. Edmonton, five against San Jose, <laughs> four against Washington, five against Florida. And then he had that really really good game against the Blues. But it's all been, you know, sub almost sub 850 save percentage in those other four starts other than that St. Louis game. And obviously not all of that's on him, but it's not the same as last year where no matter how bad the Ducks were in front of him, John Gibson was just having, you know, an unbelievable time. And uh, it it hasn't been that way. And it's it's unfair to say that that was going to continue to happen. You know, we've seen some very good goaltenders stumble this year. We, you know, Ben Bishop early on in the season, he's turned it around now, but he was struggling. He was up for a Vesna last year. Uh, Vasilevsky, who's the Vesna winner, hasn't had a great season either. So it's it's hard for even the best goalies in this league to keep up that type of play. And when you look at the way John Gibson was playing last year, for the most part, it was tough to say he could come back and replicate that. And and the Ducks haven't been much better than they were last year in front of him defensively. So it's tough to, for him to say that he was going to come back and have that type of season and, and be the same guy. Uh, and it, he's getting a, a large workload again shot-wise, right? Like he's he's already facing, I think, one of the top – he's one of the top uh, uh, goaltenders that's seeing the most shots in the league right now, 5-on-5. Five five. He sees yeah. a lot of pucks. It's just the, the, the defense in front of him has just not been good. And then when it has been decent, they don't get the goal support. So 
just got to wait this out, guys. Like, you know, something we talked about this, too. Like, we're just happy we're not under a Carlisle system anymore. Uh, we're happy that the kids are going to get a lot of playing time. And uh, we're stoked to see a different brand of hockey. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's just such a bad thing for the Ducks to finish around 500 like they did last year, but play a better style of hockey and show some improvement where, you know, guys we expect to be good are actually good in Raquel and Silverberg, and we see some steady but not astronomical improvement from from these rookies. That's that's not an unproductive season. Yeah, you miss the playoffs, but you get another top ten pick. You see the rookies make small steps forward, which. You know, to be honest with the, the ceilings that they're all projected for, it kind of makes sense that they're not, you know, not many guys can step in the NHL and, and be an instant impact and an instant, uh, you know, Connor McDavid type player. Yeah. Like these, these guys aren't that, but that doesn't mean they're not going to be good players. It just takes time. And if, you know, Sam Steele can finish with 40 points this year, if Max Jones and Troy Terry and come, come to walk and finish somewhere around 30, 35 points, there's nothing wrong with that. The Ducks weren't really getting that much depth scoring last year. So to have these guys take that step forward and, and get more uh, adjusted to the NHL level is not a bad thing. And then to have, you know, your good players have a rebound year. Uh, and then, you know, if, you know, the goaltenders have a down year and that's the downside. And that's probably why you finish around 500 and not maybe getting close to scratching a playoff spot because the goaltenders aren't playing at an unbelievable level. But you still made progress. You've still kind of gotten closer to a point where the Ducks can be competitive and you've gotten yourself another good player in the top 10 of, of what's supposed to be a stacked draft this year. I don't think that's necessarily a bad outcome or as bad an outcome as everybody's painting it to be right now. No, let's let's talk about they have a homestand coming up uh, and Ryan Getzloff had some pretty good, uh, pretty good quotes. Uh, I think it was with Elliot Tiford of the Orange County Register from uh, last night's game. You know, he says, uh, if you accept losing or being close, then it's hard to get out of it. It's hard to play in the league this way. Uh, Getzloff also pointed out the obvious fact that the Ducks' youngest and least experienced players, including Jones, Larson, Steele, and Terry, are attempting to show they could be reliable, productive players in NHL, but so far proved little of substance. We've got a whole bunch of guys who are battling for spots for future, for the future of our organization, so there's no excuse not to battle every night. Um, and he also comment, he goes on to comment about uh, not having the, the level of play needed in front of the opponents, not in front of their own nets. So he kind of attacked everybody um, at the at the end of last night's game. And he has every reason to be upset. Uh, you know, he's a leader on this team. He's been through and through this. Um, what do you make of his comments about the kids? You think that kind of kind of has any sort of uh, kick kick in the pants for him still coming up in this homestand? I'm sure it does. And and I think if you're looking at strictly numbers, he has a point. I, I think definitely he has a point and you know, these are guys that are competing for a spot and I think if they're any other player or you know a guy who a guy who's significantly older right then maybe they're not here right now you know right. I don't think a player who has four points in 22 games if they're not a, you know 22 years old and and playing in their first full uh, NHL season they're maybe not here at this point you might have seen another player step in or get sent back down or scratched a few games instead of just the one that troy terry has been or you know max jones only has five points right now and maxim comto already got sent down but uh, you know he was playing uh, around the same level as them and then obviously sam Steele. you can't really do much with him right now because you need that third center in the lineup and uh, again i've already mentioned i think he's been been the best of the four at this point but uh, he gets up does have a point I, I, I think he definitely does have a point in you know these guys need to produce more if the ducks are going to be competitive but you also have to, to take into account like they're young and 
again, like I said, not not every player adjusts to the NHL at a Connor McDavid level uh, type pace. Like it, no. it's going to take some time. So uh, again, I, I think I kind of agree and disagree with what Getzlaff has to say, but I can understand his frustration. And something has to change from his point of view because he wants the Ducks to be a competitive team. He only has so many years left with this team and d- doesn't like losing. I'm sure nobody on this team no. likes losing. No one nobody, likes nobody in the, nobody in the NHL. Yeah, nobody in the NHL likes losing. And it sucks to go out in, in November. Now the Ducks have only won two uh, of ten games. Like You've lost eight games in the month of November. That's not a fun time for anybody. No, and I'd say homestand. I know they have an away game on Wednesday, a random game against Arizona, but then they're back home Friday, and they have two more home games the following week. So we'll see what happens here. They play four of the next five at home. Um, let's get to some positive things. We spent a lot of time ripping on this team uh, at the beginning of the show and trying to find the little areas we think that giving reasons as to why they're not producing where they're at. Uh, my boy Hampus Lindholm was back in the lineup last night, apparently at 100%. I thought he had a pretty good game five on five. I didn't love his, uh, his penalty kill shift. Obviously, he got scored on. But uh, besides that, I thought Lindholm played pretty well. Uh, it was good to see him back in the lineup, honestly. Yeah, it's, you know, I, he's definitely, I think, 100% in terms of being able to play and get back into the lineup. But as for you know, getting up to game speed, I think that's going to take a little bit of time. He's been out for, for a while now, but the, the underlying numbers show that he had a pretty good game. I played 15, almost 16 minutes at 5-on-5. Uh, at five five. I think only... Cam Fowler and Jakob Larson, well, because they were pa- paired together, played more than them, and it wasn't significantly more at five on five. But uh, Hampus Lindholm had some good numbers. I mean, on the ice for for twelve scoring chances, four at five on five, uh, to to five against, four high danger chances for, which was tied for the the, the team lead, and only two against. Uh, not on the ice for. Did you uh, see his pass? That that fluffed pass out of the zone that went straight to I can't remember the Lightning player's name, but he just walked in alone on. On uh, Ryan Miller, Miller had to make a great save. Did you see that play? Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah, the one so pass. I was like, oh. And then yeah, people, there's, people there's at our watch bad, party were yeah. ripping me for it. Like, did you see your boy Lindholm? Did you see that pass? Yeah, <laughs> good and bad mixed with it. And, and honestly, for for him having to, to spend the game with uh, Eric Goodbranson, I think they actually looked pretty good. They you know they weren't that bad. And and you know going against a, a team as dangerous as the Lightning. Uh, that would be a pairing you would look to to wonder what kind of start they would have and what kind of game they would have. And I thought I thought they did pretty well. And and, and I think it was good for Hampus Lindholm to come back in. Yes, he's going to make some mistakes, but to come back in and have a solid game and not have you know an awful game from from every standpoint. Yeah, it's going to like you said take him some time to get it back up to game speed for sure. Uh, but yeah, towing around uh, this season's version of. Uh... Kevin BX or Clayton Stone or whatever you want to call it, Garrett Cabranson. That's, that's a tough one for any guy uh, that has to be paired with him. So we'll see how they shuffle the defensive pairs when uh, when Manson comes back and gets healthy. How do you think that's going to go? Actually, I wanted I want to get your opinion on that because the Ducks last season well, didn't have Eric Cabranson for sure, but they also on the regular were scratching guys named Corbinian Holzer, or he was playing with the goals, or Michael Dozada was scratched, a healthy scratch, not playing. Um, and now they don't have that luxury. We even saw Jacob Larson get scratched last season off and on. So now they're playing these guys in big minutes at all situations because they have to. When Manson comes back, how do you see this gets reshuffled? I think one of Mahura or Larson gets sent down, probably Josh Mahura, despite playing better than Jakob Larson. I think I think that's the guy they're likely going to send down to San Diego. I'm surprised without Manson back that they didn't just go Lindholm, Goodbranson, and then Gooley and Fowler. They decided to split up Gooley and Fowler and played Gooley with Holzer and Larson, uh, Larson with Fowler, which mm-hmm. made no, no sense to me whatsoever. But maybe next game we see it. But 
with with Manson coming back, I think obviously Lindholm and Manson become the Ducks' top pair again. I think then you can slot Gooley with Cam Fowler, and then it all comes down to what you want to do with that last pairing. And I think with Mahari got sent getting sent down, you've got then four options for two spots. You've got Goodbranson and Holter on the right side, and Delzato and Larson on the left side. And I, and I think that's probably what they'll roll with, and they'll stick with eight defensemen and kind of just rotate guys in and out of that bottom pairing until they have some something that works if they can actually even find anything that works down there i think the likely starting two is larson and gibranson and then they'll go from there uh you know depending on what teams they're playing and and uh you know who's playing well and who's not and, and putting in delzato and holzer but uh i think larson and gibranson just you know them being in the lineup on most nights have the inside track to be that bottom uh that bottom pairing once josh manson comes back i would agree with you i just feel i mean they got to stick with what's what works and we saw fowler and Gooley work last season and then work this season and so they had them together against florida or against the panthers and then they go to play tampa and then they split them i'm just like yeah why you want any and sort of Lindholm consistency comes back and they split them like, exactly i don't understand that like if you were going to split Gooley and fowler you should have done it against the panthers uh, and then when Man- when then uh, when Lindholm comes back, you would think that they would put like put them back together or keep them together. And th- th- I think it's hard to build consistency when you're not being consistent with your players as to who they're paired with. It's doing the line blender all especially, the time. It's just tough, especially with Larson and Holter both in the lineup, and how Dallas Aikens is just really stuck to playing them, no matter how bad they've been to get this year. Mm-hmm. He's stuck to playing them together, and he split them up which made no sense like you had two pairings that you've been used to and i guess in some sense comfortable with this year and Gooley and fowler and larson holzer you could have run that out and for some reason he decided to jumble it up and play larson with holzer and uh and uh, fowler or and Gooley Gooley with holzer and larson with fowler which uh made no sense because it felt like the easy move for him would have been just to put Gooley with fowler and, and larson with holzer but uh I don't know. Dallas Aikens is throwing some curveballs out there. We'll have to see. I, I hope uh, in the next game, based off the, the scoreline in the game against Tampa Bay, that he switches things up a little bit more. And we do see Gooley back with Fowler, Larson with uh, Holzer, and uh, and Lindholm with Goodbranson. Uh, hopefully, it goes some some sort of lineup like that. At least the top two pairings, uh, like like I just said, and then maybe obviously you mix up the bottom one. But hopefully, hopefully we can see Gooley back with Fowler. The only guys who haven't been shuffled are Grant and Rowney. <laughs> I feel like like they're the only guys that are consistently on the fourth line. Grant's always centering the fourth line, and Rowney's always playing right wing. It's just the way it is. Yep. <laughs> like, no, no matter how bad of a game they ever have, or if they don't look good, the fact that Grant's scoring though is insane to me. Yeah, like, short goals, six a on, the, on the season. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. His his underlying numbers. That fourth line has been brutal. For the Ducks yeah. over this course he's, of November, uh, but they're scoring. Well, he's scoring. True, but he's, he's scoring. scoring. Nick Delore has got a goal off his shin yeah, pad or something, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, he lost. He lost the handle, and uh, it just ended up squeaking past. Uh, what, what, what game did he score against? I can't remember, but it ended up squeaking past the goalie. So that wasn't uh, wasn't a pretty goal. Goal's a goal, man. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's get on with it, man. Let's talk about the Ducks' power play. They ended up, it looked like they got a power play goal last night, but they didn't count as a power play. It just expired. But they got one against Tampa. That was a nice passing play there from Getzloff and Raquel. They're getting more of those passes between the slot 
Um, I think if they, if they're able to make those passes, obviously it's the obvious thing in the uh, when it comes to hockey plays. You want to be able to swing it back and forth from right to left like that, especially on on the power play, and they're able to convert there. Raquel was able to bury one right as it expired, but uh, a better looking power play we've seen over the past couple of games. That's a that's a good yeah. thing for us. Utilizing Ricardo Kell a lot more, and I think that's uh, going to be key if the power play is going to turn around a bit. Uh, well, one thing I, ha- I have to mention, because uh, we brought him up last game, Paul McLean went uh, to the Columbus Blue Jackets, his first game in charge of the power play. Columbus went three for five on the power play. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so Of course they did. Uh, I don't I don't want to say the Ducks should have hired Paul McLean back, but they probably should have hired Paul McLean back because uh, that might have been the Ducks' power play against Tampa Bay Lightning. They might have got a few more goals. But, uh, yeah, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I I think it's looked a little bit better. Uh, They've been at least trying to make passes into the slot, which we hadn't really seen at all leading up until – you know the last couple of games, and and again, I think Ricardo Raquel has been kind of becoming a central piece of that power play. And, and if it's going to get any better, I think a lot of it's going to revolve around what he does and his role on that power play. So we'll see. I mean, he's been hot in November, right? Like he's got, I think, five goals and four assists for nine points in the ten games so far in November, which is important. And I know a lot of that's been at five on five, but like you said, he did score that power play goal against the Panthers and look dangerous for the Ducks power play against the Lightning too. So it'll be interesting to see if they start uh, you know, using him as a central focus on that power play. I mean, Ricardo, let's talk about him, man. Five goals, four assists in ten games, all during this awesome uh, month of November, which has just been a disaster for the team. It's definitely a bright side uh, to, to what we've been talking about uh, as far as offenses, where a major concern has been Ricardo Raquel, man. Um, you think he's going to hit 30 goals this year? I mean, he, he's looking like it so far. Um, he's got, what, he's got eight now, I think. So uh, let's just check what his pace is right now. I think he's on pace for oh, he's on pace for 27. Uh, so he's, he's getting there, and he's been hot. He's got points in every game except two so far uh, in the month of November. And he's on, I think, a five-game point streak. He's got points uh, against San Jose, St. Louis, Washington, Florida, and Tampa and goals in three of those games. So it's it's been good, and I, I think he can. I, I think this is, you know, we're starting to see the Ricard Raquel that we're used to, the Ricard Raquel that uh, could score 30 goals. And is it any surprise that we're starting to see that Ricard Raquel when he's put back with Ryan Getzlaff? Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, not. Maybe no. not. <laughs> it's, it's something that makes sense. It's like, why wouldn't they, why would they ever separate him at that point? Uh, he's got 17 points in the season. Jacob Silverberg now with 18 points in the season leads the team, nine goals, nine assists. So they're looking right around that. What is that? Um, like right around the 50, 60 point mark. Do you think anyone breaks yeah. 70? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, we've seen some line juggling. Silverberg was with Raquel. Now they've been split up, and Raquel's kind of been the beneficiary of that. I, I think Silverberg had a really hot start, and he slowed down a little bit, and, and maybe that's because he's been taken away from Ricard Raquel. I'm, I'm not sure, but Silverberg's always been a streaky player, so it could honestly just be that he, he's on a you know kind of a cold streak right now. Um, I think if anybody has a chance to hit 70, it's probably Ricard Raquel. Uh, Brian Getzlaff, I think, would be you know the other guy you'd put in that boat. Uh, I don't think Silverberg would, and and Adam Henrique's kind of slowed down in the same sense that uh, that Silverberg has as well. So I think Silverberg and, and uh, Henrique will likely finish around 50, high side 60 if they can get really really hot uh, in the middle or end part of this year. 
but uh, I could I could see it from Ricard Raquel honestly if he if he continues at the pace he's at and why not say Ryan Getzloff could too especially if they're put together and they start gelling on the power play no and that's what you're going to have to start getting the extra points from I mean you could yep. we need the five on five but you really really need special teams to be dangerous uh, and the Ducks have been dangerous on the penalty kill. Uh, offensively, thanks to Derek Durant, it feels like. But, I mean, they're all letting in too many goals. And the, the, the power play, is, it feels like they're finally moving the puck through the slot. So you got to get those points. Those are the extra, the extra points, right? Uh, you got to make sure you convert at least on one of those a game. And if Raquel and Getzloff are able to keep producing uh, and getting those looks, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to. No, and you've you got to find that, that uh, consistency and that line chemistry, too, which the Ducks have struggled to find early on in the season, which I guess is, is kind of expected when you have a new coach and you've got some, some new-look new lines that we saw to start the season with Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg starting together. But we've kind of fallen into, well, I guess, the norm and what we've seen in, uh, in Ducks Nation over the last uh, couple of years with Getzlav with Raquel and Henrik with uh, Jakob Silverberg. And uh, now Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasher are, we're used to seeing together, but they've got a new centerman uh, so far in Sam Steele. Who they've been together, I think, the last two games. Yep. And they've been impressive. They, they've honestly been impressive. They've been the Ducks' best line over the last uh, the last two games. They were on the ice for two uh, five-on-five goals for one against uh, in the game against the Florida Panthers. I believe Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasher were the goal scorers in that game. And then in against Tampa Bay, they were... Uh, one of the only Ducks lines that played over five minutes to be uh, that dominant when it comes to shot attempts. Uh, And, uh, you know, they were on the ice for seven shots for and zero against. So they were really controlling the play when they're on the ice. So maybe we're starting to see some consistency here. If if this line can get hot, it's essentially the, you know, the line we saw from two seasons ago, just replace Adam Henrique with Sam Steele. But if that line can get hot, if Ricard Raquel and, and Ryan Getzlaff can play together, and de- you know, depending on who you throw on that top line, whether it's Jones and Terry, and then if Henrik and Silverberg can kind of get on a hot streak here, the Ducks might be able to string out a couple wins if, if they can find that consistency. Well, yeah, let's get let's get Max Jones back up on that top line and move yeah. Terry down uh, to play with Henrik and, and Jacob Silverberg. Keep Richie Steele and Kasha together. Put those lines together and just keep them for a stretch, right? Keep them for 10 games and let's see what happens because we're seeing success in instances and they're changing up the lines. This kind of goes back to what I was saying about the defensive pairs too. When when things are good, just let them be good. I don't see any reason why they keep changing these things up. I would love to know the discussion going on between Dallas Aikens and, uh, and Daryl Sutter, right? Because you know that Daryl Sutter yeah. is there for advice. And it has been probably chiming in, you know, as he's being told to do and paid to do by the Ducks. So giving his input, I would love to know the reasoning for changing up this all the time. And maybe if it's something that the players want, I don't know. But Richie Steele and Kasha, I mean, yeah, the Ducks are losing. But those three guys, the last two games, have looked very good. And as you mentioned, I mean, I mean, Nick Richie had a hell of a goal on Thursday. I mean, roofing that one from the high slot it was a great play. Um, being able to pick up the one-timer like that. Good to see him to get on the board like that. Shows that he still has, he still got hands. We kind of forget about it because you know he's burying pucks around the net. But the kid can shoot. Um, yep. And Steele coming into his uh, his own since I gave him a hard time. Right, the last two games playing very well against two really good teams. I mean, I know Tampa's not been the best statistically, but they're stacked. And Florida is one of the best teams in the league. 
So to be able to play like that and dominate the puck the way they did, you would hope that Dallas puts these guys together for the foreseeable future until maybe they kind of slow down a little bit and you got to try to tinker with something. But that should be a mainstay. Uh, and get Jones back up with Raquel and Getzloff and then kind of figure out the rest of your lineup from there. But those two lines have been very good when paired together. I, I think they need to stick with being consistent on those. Yeah, and kind of on that same note, uh, Derek in our chat asked, uh, how many 20 goal scores do you think we you would you predict that we'd have at the end of the season if the Ducks do find some some consistency and some chemistry with these lines? Originally, I thought we'd have like three or, or four or five. Um, I think it's more like two now. I think two. that's what it's going to be. Yeah, maybe two. Who are they? Uh, it's it's definitely going to be Ricard Raquel is one of them. Um, maybe three. I, I mean, if I were to pick three, it's the easy ones. Raquel, Kasha. And Silverberg it would be the three that I would pick to twenty goals this year. I I think it's I think it's still four or five despite you know only one last year in, in Jakob Silverberg. I, I think with the way Adam Henrique started, uh, I, I think it's a safe bet to say he could get twelve in the remaining sixty games of the season. So I would have to put him in there. I think Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg are easy ones to say that they could hit twenty. Um, Ryan Getzlaff, I think, is a bit of a wild card for me on on whether he could do it. He's already got eight, which is a very good start for him. And, and in the same sense of as Adam Henrique, you know, can Getzlaff get twelve goals in in sixty games? Probably. Um, Probably. But he also so. could. <laughs> yeah, but he is shooting the puck a lot more, so I, I would give him the benefit of the, the, the doubt there. And then I leave that that five spot open for a guy like Andre Kasha or, you know, for somebody to get hot or maybe for Derek Grant to, to somehow keep scoring. Obviously, I don't think that that necessarily happens, but I, I do think it's four or five because I do think those four guys that we mentioned in Getzlaff, Henrique, uh, Raquel and Silverberg can hit over 20 this year. Like it's 20. It's not like Derek saying 25. It's, it's 20. Right. And then I think you can leave it open for, you know, Andre Kasha to get hot, which we've seen before and, and to, to push for 20 near the end of the year. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I think there's a for sure three on this team. Four and five, it takes a convincing here and a really good January, I feel like, for this team in order for yep. them to turn that around. we got to see a turnaround here. we got two wins in the last ten games, um, and those are all been in November. It's not been good. Does the skid stop tomorrow? I mean, we're playing the freaking Islanders at home, which isn't good. 17-game point streak for the Islanders. Stupid. That's so stupid. Barry Trotz, unbelievable, man. Unbelievable that guy's done with that team. It's, <laughs> it's, maybe, it's maybe a game, a better game for the Ducks in the sense that it's going to be a, a defensive game. Or maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was a better game for the Ducks last year, but this year they're a high-event team, and the Islanders have uh, notoriously snuffed out high-event teams this year and, and been uh, a team reminiscent of the uh, the you know, mid-2000s New Jersey Devils where when they were the trap team. And uh, you would go in there and just get suffocated into a one nothing or a two one game. Yeah, uh, the Islanders kind of kind of been that team this year. Not in the same sense; they're not really a trap team, but they are a, a stifling team defensively. So it'll be an interesting game to see how the Ducks approach that. I, I can't see it being a high scoring game, but the you know the Islanders don't have a ton of weapons either. You know, you could argue the Ducks have just as many weapons as the Islanders do. So it'll be an, an interesting game for them to go in there and I, I'm you know I, I want to see what their approach is I want to see what uh, what Dallas Aikens chooses to go with for that game yeah it's it's that uh, the damn Mitch Korn guy right the goaltending wizard that's followed around yeah. Barry Trotz I mean he, he did a number of things for him um, I think he was in Nashville with Trotz he went to New York with Trotz uh, or not uh, with Washington and now he's in New York with uh, 
with uh, Trotsen and turning goaltenders' lives around. Yeah. So that's Rene, not very helpful. Holby, <laughs> Lehner, Grice. So it's been it's, it's uh, been interesting what that coaching staff's been able to do. As much as I like to say that stuff's overrated, I mean, shoot, that's that's hard to argue against. The track, they really track turned it around. Speaks for itself when when you 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 do it one not once not twice but three times with three different goalies in three different cities in three different situations. Mm-hmm. You, you start to to start to believe that it, it's not all bullshit. Uh, yep. I mean, you know, Pekka Rene was always a great goaltender, but when Trotz and his staff got there and, and the goaltending coach, like you just said, things turned around for him. And, and Braden Holtby, it, it was a struggle for him to get things going in Washington. But when he finally got, you know, switched up his routine, got with a new goaltending coach, Barry Trotz showed up, turned things around for Braden Holtby. And then obviously uh, the Islanders have done that with almost three goaltenders now with Laner, Grice, and uh, I guess in some sense Varlamov too has had a pretty good season. So, yeah, uh, it will be an interesting. The, the Islanders are such an enigma to me and how they're good and how they've strung together a 17-game point streak because it, they don't really have that many weapons when you look at their team on paper. You know, Anders Lee, sure, Matt Barzell, I definitely can agree. But, you know, Brock Nelson, Jordan Eberle, like Justin Bailey, they're, they're not a great team but they win games yeah they just they just win and they're like they're, they're not a low scoring team i think they're like 13th in goals per game so they're still scoring they're scoring over three goals per game which is way more than the ducks are scoring they and they just happen to be you know one of the top five defensive teams in the league so i think that again they, they just kind of score surprisingly score goals i think that's the thing to say and, and they score by committee they get goals from every line and i think that's that's why they're such a tough matchup for teams. Is no matter what line they throw over there, they have this mentality that they can score. Well, they're just winning by committee. I mean, even defensively, these yeah. guys are in the right spot at the right time, and they they trust their coach. Obviously, he's leading him, like you said, to a 17 game point streak, which is insane. Because I think we all laughed at the Islanders when Lamorello picked up all those random guys a couple of years ago, and then they went out and got Barry Trotz. We're like, yeah, this doesn't really mean or it doesn't really mean much. Like whatever, a coach is a coach. Uh, but man, I'm really we are. I know I am a lot because I hate the Islanders, um, and most of the media are just eating our own words about this team. So the Ducks have their work cut out for them uh, tomorrow night for sure against the New York Islanders. We'll see how it goes. What's your prediction on that game? Do they win that game or lose that game, Ed? Man, I, I was uh, half a nail in the head with the <laughs> Washington game. Uh, did we? I don't. Did we predict the Florida game? Uh, we lost. I think we did. I, I think I said I, I hope. I, I said if I they said. if they were going to lose, I would I would hope they lost against Florida and then beat Tampa because it was our watch party. Yeah, I don't even remember what I said for that. Um, yeah, I mean I don't know what to say for this game because I just I just don't know what the Islanders are. Like I haven't watched one Islanders game this year, so it still just baffles me that they they are seventeen games in. You know, points points in seventeen straight games is is just unbelievable. Um, I think it will be a tight game. I, I really expect the Ducks to get a, a bounce-back performance in net, so I think it'll be kind of a goaltending duel. So I'm expecting like a 2-1, 3-2 game. And I think the Ducks can pull out, but it's, it's man, they're such a tough team to beat this year. It's going to be a, a tough one for the Ducks to kind of turn that over and, and snap that point streak. Like if any team's going to snap the point streak right now, do you really think it's going to be the Ducks? It almost has to be, right? I mean, the best teams in the league can't beat this Islanders team, so it almost has to be one of the teams that's in the bottom five in the NHL, which is the Ducks, right? I mean, they're not they're not playing great hockey right now. Um, they're, they're, and when they are, they're, they only play for half the game. So I feel like I'm going to go with a strong start from John Gibson. Uh, let's say a Superman uh, event here tomorrow night. 
game from him, and the Ducks eke out a three-two win. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying for tomorrow. I could see it, but and then we'll you know we'll be wrong, and the Ducks are going to lose like five-one, <laughs> and <laughs> the Barry Trotz and the Islanders are going to make us look silly. Okay, what about Wednesday? Just for heads up, everybody, we're not doing a show this week on Wednesday. We got we would normally have to do it on Wednesday or Thursday. There's a game against Arizona on Wednesday. That's our normal slot, and then Thursday is American Thanksgiving, so we're taking the the, the mid mid show uh, midweek show off, and we'll be back on Saturday. But what do you, what do you got for Arizona on the road? Yeah, yeah, and, and again, Arizona's almost in the the same boat as the the uh, Islanders this year, and uh, and how surprising how good they've been, but not generating a ton of offense. But it's really been Darcy Kemper. All like this was your guy in our goaltender battle, and I we laughed at you, but uh, he's uh, the leading candidate for the Vesna right now in the way he's been playing and I think uh, you know as we're recording this they were playing the uh, the Oilers tonight and last time I checked uh, they were going into overtime but they ended up losing in a shootout to the to the Oilers but uh, Darcy Kemper has been been that guy for them this year and they've got a, a good goaltender as well in um, in Auntie Rantu who I thought would be the starter this year so, so that'll be a, that'll be an interesting game too I think th- I think that's one the Ducks could win They've had their, their troubles with the, in the past with the uh, with the Coyotes, but uh, I think you know, out of these two games, which one's the most winnable? I'd have to say that one against Arizona. Yeah, and Arizona's not as strong at home as they are on the road, so that gives the Ducks the opportunity there, but then again, the Ducks aren't that great on the road, so kind of see what, what's going to happen on that one. I, I would say that they probably lose that one uh, as the day before the, uh, before the big turkey day. Maybe the Ducks are already... Already, uh, you know, getting in that mode of taking a, like a day off on Thursday, so I think they maybe they fall asleep at the wheel then, but then come back on Friday on my birthday, Ed, uh, at home against the Winnipeg Jets and blow the Jets out of the water with like a I don't know, you know, a, a six nothing win on Friday just to celebrate my birthday with me next week when I'm at the game. I mean, the Jets have, the Jets have been turning around though since the Ducks played them last. It's been, yeah, uh, and they're eight three and two on, or what are the Jets at right now? Are they are they even? decent they're third uh, seven two and one their last 10 yeah not yeah. not a team you want to face at the moment yeah they're, they're starting to turn things around and get back to the team that you kind of expect them to be the, the defense is still an issue for for the jets of course losing trooper myers and then obviously dustin bufflin was the big surprise at the beginning of the year but you know last time they played the ducks they won seven to four so it's uh it's always a high scoring affair i think when you go in and you play winnipeg with with the forwards that they have and wheeler and shifley aylers line a like they've They've got some massive weapons up front, and they're a big physical team. Uh, and it's going to be a, an early game for the Ducks, Friday at uh, at 1, right, for you mm-hmm. guys? Friday at 4 for me. So the Ducks don't often fare well in those early games, but we'll see how it goes. I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think a lot of it will depend on, on how well they play uh, against the Islanders and, and the Coyotes in these next two games coming up. Yeah, we'll see how that one goes. I'm, I'm picking a... Uh... A win tomorrow, a loss on Wednesday, and a win on Friday. That's those are my three picks. I'm going one, one, and one. Ah, okay, all right, all yeah, right. Three points yeah, out of six. Not great, but not not horrible. So we'll, we'll go be, with that. Before we get to our fan questions, I want to thank everybody who was at the watch party last night uh, at Lampost Pizza in West York. Belinda had a good time. Had a bunch of people there. Uh, big turnout, and I, I think someone mentioned uh, haven't the Ducks lost nearly every game you've ever had a watch party on? And I think the answer to that question is yes. I think they've won yep. one game uh, out of all the watch parties. I have to go back and track them, but I think they've only won one. Um, they and lost nobody both could remember. that I went to. 
So. Yeah, tough ones. <laughs> tough ones. Good times, though. They were not uh, great losses either. They they got blown out the one time we watched them play Vegas. And yeah. what was the other one I was down there for? I can't even the remember. Kings. Like, Kings. Kings. They lost against the Kings, Like 3-2 in that game. Yeah, not good. Last night, not good. Um, but had fun with everybody. Good food. Uh, had fun doing drinks with everybody, talking hockey, catching up with people, catching up with Patreon members. So we appreciate everyone who showed up last night. If you couldn't make that one, no big deal. We're going to do one again next month. Uh, and probably in January as well. We're going to try to do them once a month. It makes it fun. Even if the team's losing, everyone has a good time. So thanks, everyone, for coming out. Um, let's get to we have a few a few fan questions. Uh, do you have them pulled up, or do you want me to grab them? Yeah, I got them. So we had one from Joseph on Facebook. Uh, he asked, uh, it's a little bit of a long question here, so I'll kind of skim through it. But he said, we're playing Larson over Mahura. We're playing Grant and Deloria over a fourth line of Shore, Rowney, and Sherwood. We're having offensive issues and not using Sprong and Comtois. The power play looks like an experiment. Uh, <laughs> when we know damn well Eakins has a productive power play system, which we know he used in San Diego. Are we in a shadow tank? Ooh. And then this, he said, should we be saying fail for Drysdale? This team is not purposely tanking. They are literally playing... A, a young team in a brand new system with a brand new coach and trying to see what they've got in these guys. Um, they got to get off them under the Corey Perry contract because, you know, they just signed Eric De- or they just picked up Eric DeBranson for another year, right? He's got one more year, four mil. So you're going to see a rebuild. This is a rebuild. They're not going to say it, but it's a freaking rebuild is what they're doing. But they're taking it the, the right way. They want to see what they have this season with these guys. And they were going to ride them to the rest of the year. I would be shocked. And, I mean, come on, I've been wrong a ton of times on this show. But I'd be shocked if you see major moves for them to try to, to make it make something happen this season. You know, they, they covet their picks. We've seen that from Bob Murray at his tenure in Anaheim. He, they, he covets his picks, his prospects a lot. Um, so I don't see anybody of any worth going anywhere to, uh, to try and gain any sort of momentum this year. But I don't think it's a tank. I think they're literally just trying to see what, they, what they've got. Yeah, I don't think, you know, because they're playing Larson over Maher and because they're playing Grant and Delore over no. over Shore and calling up Sherwood and, and you know, because Sprong and Comtois are in the AHL that that it's necessarily considered a shadow tank. And, and listen, I don't think because uh, Aikens had a great power play, productive power play system in San Diego, that it would mean that it would it would come up and excel in the NHL by any means. And, and, you know, who knows how much uh, influence he actually had on the power play in San Diego, because most of the time the head coach isn't the guy who necessarily has the brunt of the focus on the power play. So usually it's a, it's a task given to the assistant coach, which we've seen the Ducks utilize in the past. So to say, yeah, you had a productive power play in the AHL that's going to come up and succeed in the NHL. You can't, it's, you know, apples to oranges. It's completely different on, on, on if that's going to succeed or not. It's a completely different style of game, obviously completely different level of player skills. So I don't think the Ducks are in a stealth tank. I think they're just performing at the level we, you know, that you should expect from them. Like, this is what this team is. They're a 500 team, and unless they get some some unbelievable goaltending, uh, that's where they're going to stay, right? Like, I think they're very similar to the Arizona Coyotes, who... Right now, if the Ducks were getting the same amount of goaltending, that same level of goaltending the Coyotes were getting, they'd probably have a similar record to the Coyotes being like 14-9-2 or whatever the Coyotes are right now. That's where you would expect them to be. If they got some of you know more elite goaltending performances like we saw from John Gibson against the Blues, you know, if they got that level of goaltending performance from Miller last night against Tampa Bay, you'd probably win that game. Yeah, if you get some 
just serviceable, decent goaltending yeah. in the game against the Florida Panthers, you don't lose that game 5-4 in overtime. You probably win that game. And there you go. If you win those two games, uh, the Ducks are above 500 right now. So I don't think it's a stealth tank. I think this is just the, the level we should expect from the Ducks right now. And if that means they end up getting a 10th overall pick and getting a player uh, like J- Joseph mentioned in, in Jamie Drysdale, I think he could be honestly what the Ducks have been looking for for a long time in a, in a right shot power play quarterback point producing defenseman if being bad this year gets you that player just like it got you potential first line 80 point center and and trevor zegris uh in last year's draft that's how you build a a team to be competitive for the future yeah you got to lose to to win right (laughs) that's kind of the way it works again you know the ducks are slowly putting these pieces together that of things they've needed for a long time and you know you only get that through the draft you know you only get a player of trevor zegers quality by finishing poorly last year and getting a top 10 pick and you if you know this year if it's jamie drysdale who i think if you're outside the top five and you're you're ducks fans should be the guy you would want to go for the ducks don't really need another center they they've needed a right shot defenseman who could put up points for a very long time brandon monte was supposed to be that guy didn't work out Trust me, if the Ducks have a chance to draft Jamie Drysdale, that should be the guy they should go for because, man, this kid is, you know, look at what Kel McCarr is doing in, uh, in Colorado this year. And I'm not going to say Drysdale's at the same level as Kel McCarr, but he's the same type of smaller, offensively gifted defenseman who just kind of does everything well. And, uh, man, if the Ducks had a chance to get him this year and it meant missing the playoffs, I'd be all for that. Uh, and I think I like the shadow tank comment about playing, you know, keeping Mahara down and Comtois down and all that, and playing guys in here. Uh, you got to remember too, when you when you sign veterans, they expect to play, and and I think that's still part of this this team's makeup. I mean, you still got the old school guys bringing in Eric Branson, right? You bring keeping in, you know, Nick Delorier. You still got that gritty sandpaper type player that the, this management likes, and they've liked forever. Like that's part of the Ducks' identity forever. It's just the way it's been. So I don't think it's like a let's let's kind of tank by playing these guys. I think that they like these guys on the team, and you know we don't know what that means for the room too. Like some of these veterans, they do a lot for the morale with the team in the room, and then some of them are good mentors to kids, and it's just the way it goes, right? I mean, and it's exactly what you said too, Ed. When it comes to we're just getting the quality of hockey that this team has right now, and and I think that's the way it's going to be for the rest of the season. Five hundred. Yeah, uh, let's rip through the rest of these questions pretty quick. Uh, Garrett on Twitter asked, uh, he's, well, he said he'd swap Comtois and Terry for at least the next couple games, and he'd also play Mahura every game instead of, I'd assume, meaning Larson comes out. So at, right now, would you play Comtois over Terry and Mahura over Larson for at least the next couple games? Yeah, I have no problem with that. I think we should do that. Why not? Give it a shot. Give it a shot. I think so. Well, well when we saw Comtois with Henrik and Silverberg, that looked really good when they were together mm-hmm. and if that meant jones goes back up with raquel and uh please and ryan gets and and steel <laughs> and richie and uh kasha stay together why not and yep i think that you know lineup wise that means you don't have to move a righty over to the left side i think that uh that kind of works well for the ducks and i think we both kind of agreed if anybody should get sent down right now to, to kind of get a confidence boost or or get uh, a wake-up call it's probably troy terry so mm-hmm. I'd be all for that. I don't think it happens, but uh, I'd be—I uh, definitely be all for both of those moves right now. Um, on Instagram, uh, John Arlotti asked any trade rumors uh, around the Ducks. I, I no. haven't heard any since uh, since back when they were looking Justin for Rasmus Falk. Yeah, and Justin Falk like that—that's uh, 
I don't think we're going to hear any for a while. I don't think the Ducks are looking or, or looking to buy or looking to sell anybody at this point. Unless this is your roster. Yes, yeah. this is the roster we're going to see. It's just what it's going to be this year. Um, and then Shredden said, what do you think Kiefer Sherwood – why do you think, sorry, Kiefer Sherwood hasn't been getting used on the big club this season? I don't know. We, we kind of talked about that as well. I mean, he could play on a fourth line, and you could scratch a guy like Nick Delorier or Carter Rowney or Derek Grant, but those guys are just – immovable you can't like they're just not gonna scratch those guys I mean Deloria in and out of the lineup but Grant and Rowney I mean they're just not producing like mostly Grant's get I mean Grant's on the goal streak right now I get it he's, he's scoring but outside of his goals I mean he really hasn't provided anything um to this team he's winning key face-offs oh, okay he, he, so he's Antoine Vermette all right yeah well. yeah no for sure and I completely <laughs> agree with that that's name it too but he but uh, for sure went on the fourth line that. Give 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 the kid an opportunity, but I mean the goals also need their players too. They need the guys that are scoring for them as well. You can't just deplete that team. Sure, well, it's yeah, about the big club at the end of the day, like you and I have said before. But I mean the goals just had a slow start to the season. Have, have turned things around a bit and went on a winning streak. Um, maybe they want to keep him there for the rest of the season and, and get called up towards the end. I don't see that being a problem. He's also waiver exempt, so yeah. he's easy to to keep down there and to send down there, and and you know. And yes, he's probably better than Nick Deloria. Yes, he's probably better than Carter Rowney. Both of those guys you can't send down. So if you call Kiefer Sherwood up, you have to send somebody down to make the roster room and, and to, to stay within the roster limit. And the only guys you can freely send down without going through waivers are Max Jones, Troy Terry, and Sam Steele. Yep. And obviously, you know, Josh Mahara and Jakob Larson, but we're talking about forwards here. So that that's it. I mean, you know, obviously on the very top end, Getzlaff and Raquel are, are you know, like – it's dumb to say, but obviously they're not going to get touched and you're not going to see them move or get scratched. And same goes for Henrik and Silverberg uh, as well, and Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha. No. So it comes down to the kids and the fourth liners. And again, the fourth liners aren't waiver exempt. So if Sherwood comes up, that means Steele, Jones, or Terry at this point have to go down. And, you know, maybe you could argue that Terry should go down over Kiefer Sherwood, and maybe we see that sometime soon. Who knows? I'd be surprised. But it. It still is a tough decision, especially when you've got a guy who's actually playing well down in San Diego and the goals need some players to play well. Mm-hmm. I, I think why not have Keeper Sherwood stay down and get that confidence, as much as I'd like to see him, you know, him come up, and I think Troy Terry needs to start down there. I'm sure Maxime Comtois uh, would be the, the the guy who would probably come back up in that uh, in that situation. No, I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, that's it. That's all we got for questions. That's it. That's all we got for the show then. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you'd like to help us out, uh, go and click subscribe uh, on Spreaker. We, you, you can go subscribe to us on Apple on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google. Leave us a review. That helps out spread the word. Um, there's a lot of uh, podcasts out there out there now with uh, with Ducks you know, news and reviews and, and post-game content. So we're, we're now in that mix. We'd love to, uh, if you guys love us, to promote us just to help us grow and uh, to get out there. So tell a friend if they like listening to Ducks Talk and uh, they haven't heard us before, you know, give us a try. But uh, we'll be talking to you guys here, like I said, next Saturday. No, Nothing this week, but uh, check us out on social media. We still got the Forever Mighty three stars uh, after, you know, before every single game. So be on the lookout for that for your chance to win a jersey. But other than that, have a great night, everybody, and uh, talk to you next weekend. See you guys.